I'm Deb Kilsmeyer, the membership pastor here. And, you know, for most of history, people were not literate. They did not necessarily read. And so scripture was told to them like a story. And they, rather than reading it, they heard it with their ears. So I would like to tell you the story from Luke chapter 2. Um, verses 22 through 40. So listen for the word of God. When the time came for the rite of purification, which is required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took the child to present him in Jerusalem. As is written in the law, every firstborn son shall be consecrated to God. And they went to present an offering as required by the law, two or a pair of doves or young pigeons. Now in Jerusalem, there was a man named Simeon. He was both righteous and devout. And he was longing for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And the Spirit had told him that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. Well, prompted by the Spirit, Simeon went into the courts of the temple. When Joseph and Mary walked into the temple, Simeon took the child, and he praised God, and he said, Sovereign God, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation that has been prepared before all the peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. Well, the parents wondered and were amazed at what Simeon was saying about the child. And then Simeon blessed them as well. And he said to Mary, Jesus' mother, This child is destined for the rising and falling of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken against, that the thoughts of the hearts of many will be revealed. And Mary, a sword will pierce your soul as well. Well, there was a prophet named Anna, daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after their marriage and then was a widow for 84. She never left the temple, but she worshiped there night and day, praying and fasting. At that very moment, Anna came and she thanked God and told everyone about the child all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Well, after the parents had done what was required by the law, they took the child 
And they went back up to Galilee, to their hometown of Nazareth. And there the child grew, and he became strong, and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. This is the Gospel of the Lord, according to Dr. Luke in chapter 2. The rite of purification that is talked about for the birth of a young male, so a baby boy, a woman would wait 40 days. So Jesus was probably about seven weeks when Mary and Joseph gathered him up and walked because actually to have a donkey, you would need to be fairly wealthy. But they probably walked from Bethlehem up to Jerusalem both for Mary's purification rites, but also ever since the Exodus, God required the firstborn male of any family to be consecrated to him, to be given to him. And then, in a sense, the parents would redeem that child back by offering a sacrifice. Either, if you were poor, two birds, like the doves, or young pigeons, or if you were more wealthy, a lamb. Obviously, Mary and Joseph were people of poverty, and they offered two young pigeons. When they got to Jerusalem, they met these two elderly saints. Eccentric? My goodness! Anna was ancient. She was a woman She was a prophet, and she never left the temple, night or day. And Simeon believed that the Holy Spirit had told him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And you just have to wonder, out of all of Israel, why did God choose these two people, these two people to recognize his Messiah, and to speak of him to the world. Why them? I mean, honestly, if I were there in the temple that day, I know exactly what I would have done. Just like the baby who was baptized, I would have gathered that child in my arms and I would have said, my gosh, look at those beautiful brown eyes. What a cutie. And then, to the Mother Mary, I would have said, are you sleeping at night? How's it going? (laughs) Definitely wouldn't have come up with what Simeon said. And by all accounts, 99.9% of the people had the same reaction. Either they ignored a baby because children were of little um, import, especially a peasant child, or they just cuddled him. There was nothing noteworthy No halo, even though I know many paintings have things like that. What caused Anna and Simeon to recognize this one as God's Messiah? They both were looking. We see that in the scripture. They both were yearning for the Messiah, for the consolation of Israel, for the redemption of Jerusalem. But then honestly... Everyone was looking for the Messiah. All of Israel was yearning for this one who would finally set them free. 
And they had been for absolute centuries. These were dark and desperate times. They were an occupied country, and they were oppressed by their enemies. Before the Roman occupation, there were the Greeks. And before the Greeks, there were the Persians. Before the Persians, there were the Babylonians. And before the Babylonians, there were the Assyrians. They were war-torn and weary. The northern kingdom had been conquered, and ten of the tribes had largely been carried off and were lost. And Judah, the southern tribe, had been carried into exile, and only some of them had returned to Jerusalem. Not only that, when Jesus came, God had been silent for over 350 years. They were yearning for God's Messiah to be set free. And yet so few recognized him when he came. I wonder if it was their expectations that kind of tripped them up. I mean, Isaiah had talked about the Messiah coming. And you know these words. He was to be wonderful counselor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, if I was expecting that Messiah, I would assume he would be born possibly in a palace, certainly with some trumpeting and fanfare, maybe rather than being placed on straw in a feeding trough, he would have been on a velvet pillow. But instead... You know the story, how the royal announcement came through angels to a largely empty field full of sheep. And who were the recipients of this royal announcement? But shepherds. In Jesus' day, shepherds were on the same rung as tax collectors and dung sweepers. They were the lowest rung of society. Then the Magi, the wise men, they discerned his coming, but they were from a pagan kingdom to the east. They were astrologers. They didn't even have the same God as Israel. They were complete outsiders. So who recognized this one? Pagan astrologers and shepherd riffraff? What in the world was God doing here? This is not the way that the Messiah was expected to arrive. And yet Anna and Simeon recognized him. Now you might think, well, they were waiting a long time and they positioned themselves very well. They were at the temple in Jerusalem, the very heart of Judaism. They were at the very center of everything that happened in this nation and in their faith. So naturally, if the Messiah was to come, they were there to see him. And you might even conjure up in your mind, maybe something like a huge cathedral in Europe where there are 
Um, it's just sacred when you walk in. Maybe there are candles lit. Maybe you're smelling a little incense. Um, maybe the soft chanting of the priests. Surely they would recognize the Christ child. But the fact is, the temple wasn't anything like that. Not at all. The temple was vast. Here's a picture of a model of it. Um, And this doesn't even show the whole temple. What happened was, when the Israelites came back from captivity, King Herod decided to curry their favor by rebuilding the temple. And he made the temple huge. He lopped off the top of a mountain, and then he built um, courtyards, 85 acres of courtyards. He made it so big that he built retaining walls around the courtyards to hold it up, one of which is now the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall. Are you familiar with this? Where Jews today um, pray and worship God. It was gigantic. Um, Something like walking into the Mall of America, probably. Huge. Um, He also built it of marble and covered it with gold. There were thousands of priests, Roman soldiers, temple soldiers to keep order, attendants, and minions that just caused the mechanisms of daily life in the temple to continue. When you approached the temple, you walked up the hill in Jerusalem, and first you came across shops vendors where people were selling sacrificial animals. They would gladly change your money for a price um, so that you could pay your temple tax or your offerings. There were baths. And then when you entered in the outer court, the court of the Gentiles, there were rabbis and people who maybe were a bit off and thought they were the Messiah, who would stand up on soapboxes and just preach. It was a busy place. As you walked in closer to the more sacred center, you would begin to hear the bellows and the squawks of terrified animals who were being sacrificed. There would be sluices of blood, a stench of a slaughterhouse, pillars, pyres of smoke and fire. Every day, thousands of worshipers came to the temple There were scores of couples who brought their firstborn baby to be presented to God, and hundreds of women coming for the rite of purification. How easy it would be to miss the Messiah. How ordinary for a peasant couple to bring their baby to be presented before God. And yet here, amidst the chaos, the distraction, amidst radically different expectations for who the Messiah would be, Anna and Simeon discern their salvation. What are we to learn from their voices? We also friends live in a very distracting time. We may not have bellowing animals being sacrificed around us or sluices of blood, but we live in rivers of traffic. 
We have a nonstop assault of images, noise, and messages from the media. And the pressures of modern life are like none centuries have known. It's easy to miss the presence of God. I have a friend um, who now actually is just finishing up her um, Master of Divinity at Princeton Seminary. She was raised Jewish, and she was quite Jewish. I mean, she lived in a kibbutz in Israel after college, and she ended up marrying a young man who then became a Christian. In their first year of marriage, this rocked her world. She wasn't sure she could remain married to this man. So different was their worldview. And so she intentionally took a year to seek God and whether or not it was true that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, when I mean intentional, she made plans. She went out west and talked to famous rabbis. She talked to people who had come to accept Jesus as their Messiah. She went to Israel and talked to people who knew that he wasn't. And by the end of that year, she was so distraught and their marriage was about to end. She was at really a low point. And one night she just laid in her bed. It was dark and she said, God, this is it. I can't figure this out, and my marriage is about to end. Jesus, if you really are the Messiah, will you just show, will you just show yourself to me? And she said at that point, it was was one of those holy moments where her room was filled. She couldn't see anything, but an incredible sense of the presence of God. And she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that this Jesus was real, he was the Messiah, and he still showed up to ordinary people today. That's really an amazing story. And I know that probably hasn't happened to most of us here. Wouldn't that be neat if it did? But the truth of the matter is, Jesus is here And he has promised us that he will be with us even to the end of the age. He promises us, just like he promised Simeon and Anna, that your eyes will see your salvation. He promises to come into our lives, to break or to bind up broken hearts and to heal us. But we can so easily miss him. In our modern world, what will you do this year, this new year, that you will not miss God's Messiah? Will you watch? Will you wait? Think of all the years that Anna and Simeon waited to see the Messiah. Will you ask for eyes of faith? to see this one, and to anticipate him breaking into your new year, maybe in ways you don't expect. You know, I think as modern Christians, we've sort of tamed Jesus. We kind of like to keep him a baby in a little cradle that we can just sort of burp 
when we want to. <laughs> but I love Annie Dillard um, in Teaching a Stone to Talk has this wonderful quote about um, us coming to church. She says, you know, it's ridiculous that women come to church with straw and velvet hats. They should come to church with crash helmets on. And ushers should be issuing life vests and signal flares because the God of the universe just may show up. We know God does show up, but sometimes it's true. We expect him to stay in this one little box, in this one little piece of our life, where we may or we may not decide to invoke him. Will you watch? Will you ask for eyes of faith to see? There are some things you can intentionally do, I think, like Anna and Simeon waiting in the temple. You can carve out times of silence and solitude to mute all the other voices and the distractions and to listen for God's voice. You can do that in prayer or by reading scripture prayerfully. Sometimes people need a friend, a spiritual friend, to help them see, where is God at work in my life? What do you see God doing? And to pray with them, or to join a group where others can gather around you and pray, and look and listen as well. One practice that um, is an old practice an Ignatian practice is at the very end of the day, just before you go to bed when you're settling down, pray backwards through your day and ask God to give you the eyes to see and the ears to hear, where was God close to me today? Where was I far from him? Lord, show me where you're working in my life. And soon... I believe our spiritual muscles or little antennae will begin to grow and we'll begin to see and discern and know when God shows up, often subtly in our life. Jesus promises you, this is his promise, just like he promised Simeon. I am with you. I am with you now. Even to the end of the age. Will you recognize him? He is faithful. He desires to make himself known to you, to bind up broken hearts, to set those of you who are captive free, to, to declare the year of his favor over you. Friends, let us watch. Let us wait. With eyes of faith, let us ask God that we might recognize him and welcome him in the spirit of Anna and Simeon. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for these old saints whose hearts were set on you. They yearned to see your salvation. And how blessed are we that we know the story we look for you to come again every day into our lives. And finally, at the end of this era, in all your glory, 
to bring your kingdom in its full. Keep our eyes open, our spirits ready, and our hearts receptive. We pray in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.